Welcome, everybody. This is another episode of the State News Sports Podcast. My name is Casey Harrison, alongside always with Stephen Olshansky. A lot going around on campus today, a lot going around in the sports world. Uh, got a loaded show for you. Uh, we got a special guest, the first ever State News Podcast special guest, Rick Goslin, former snoozer, State News Hall of Fame member, NFL Hall of Fame member, and leading columnist, uh, leading sports columnist for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, He'll be on with me to, to talk uh, the NFL, and we, we've touched on some of our criticism about that, so you'll hear a word from him. It's about a 15-minute long segment. You'll hear, hear me talk with him. We're, uh, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about MSU and Maryland. Uh, they're going to lose another game, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, MLB playoffs, and we're going to talk a little bit about MSU basketball because it was media day on f- Thursday. So let's get into it. Uh, Steven, why don't you break down MSU football? I think before we we hit MSU football, we have to touch on a somber note today in the Detroit sports world. Um, For many of you, if you've grown up reading Detroit sports in the free press, uh, you know of Drew Sharp. But uh, Drew Sharp, uh, we regret to inform everybody that has passed away at 56 years old. Uh, Great columnist, a great writer, knew how to write knew how to stir the pot. I uh, wasn't always a fan favorite, I think, with the Detroit media, but he was always loved by his colleagues. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed his opinions. I know I did. Uh, he's one of the first guys I learned uh, to, you know, to write like, to, to be a columnist. And you know, it's kind of sad to see kind of, I, I, don't, I don't know if he was a hero, but it's kind of sad to see the guys you looked up to as a writer uh, you know, pass away and whatnot. So sad day. And uh, our condolences to his family on behalf of the state news. Um, and, you know, just... Now you rest in peace. Shocking news, to say the least. I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but he he always told it like it was. He didn't ever sugarcoat it. He was always out there. He he didn't really care what other people thought about his opinion. And I think that's what made him such a respectable writer and such a respectable figure in news media because a lot of people aren't that truthful. And to have that is a very admirable quality. Um, And then to keep doing it over and over again, no matter how many people... uh you know, rag on you or whatnot. And the other thing I, I look back at, well, his last tweet was from about a year ago, and it says, State still sucks. And so it's an interesting uh, interesting final tweet, and I think it kind of fits him pretty well. So Yeah, you know, it's always, even though he came from the University of Michigan, he's a member of the media, and I'm very sorry for his loss. And so uh, to our condolences, to, again, on behalf of the State News, uh, on behalf of myself and, and Casey, uh, deepest condolences to him and his family and uh, all the free press, uh, his colleagues as well. So I guess on a lighter note, we'll, we'll talk about MSU football today. And uh, it'll be interesting to see him not in the press box uh, when I go there for Michigan, Michigan State. Um, so, but anyway, take it away. Well, uh, Stephen, MSU is looking to earn their third win of the season against Maryland, the Terrapins. Uh, they're already 4-2 and two on the season. They're currently in a two-game losing streak, though. They lost to Minnesota and Penn State. Molly lopped by both of them. Yeah. Um, so if there's any kind of silver lining, I guess that's it. Um, I, I'm still not confident that Michigan State can pull off um, a game and get, get everything together for the game. Um, but, Stephen, what do you think? Uh, you know, Michigan State losing now, trying to avoid losing five in a row, uh, hasn't happened here in a long time. And it's, you know, I picked a, I picked Maryland this week, as, as you know. Um, there's, you look at it, Maryland's lost the last two in blowout fashion, but they have an offense that's capable of moving the ball, 
And, you know, normally this game over this decade, you know, I, w- I would pick MSU to win this. But even a year, let's say, that they're 3-3 three and three with losses to historically good teams, say, like Notre Dame and, and uh, some of the other Power Fives they played before, um, you know, I, I would pick Michigan State. But this year, there's no way I'm picking them. Oh, yeah. And it's more of not a, a vote of confidence in Maryland, but a, a vote of no confidence in Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, Maryland is averaging almost 33 points a game, while MSU is averaging 30 or 24. Um, but I, that's not always the best indicator. But at, Maryland's leading in passing yardage. They're leading in total offense. Um, and quite frankly, the MSU defense hasn't really done anything to convince me otherwise that they're not going to be able to stop the Terrapins. Yeah, there's, I mean, Maryland, 13th in passing game in, in the Big Ten, but – you know, and that's been Michigan State's weakness all year, but they have a good running game. And Maryland, you know, they'll they'll get their passes because Michigan State secondary just can't stop anybody. And I I can't trust their linebackers currently to to get rid of those blitzes because no one's getting any penetration anywhere. So, um, you know, you, I've said it over and over, and Michigan State's really bad this year. But the emphasis um, on this year, you know, they'll be good again. And you know, as they wake up, and you, you kind of realize that this this year isn't a fluke. But, um, you know, it's hopefully it's just a wake-up call for Michigan State. Yeah. And you, you kind of look at uh, Maryland has much the same players as Northwestern, and you hope that um, after losing 54-40 to 40 to Northwestern, there's some sort of wake-up call that you realize uh, you need to wake up at some point and, and make some changes. So yeah. that's MSU football for me. I, uh, I, heard, I was talking to Nate the other day, and, I mean, he was saying that Maryland's in the middle of the pack uh, – standings wise in terms of like all the different stats how they rank either sixth or seventh in most of their offensive categories and msu isn't they're near the bottom i mean that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles i guess um i meant to say rushing yardage i i said passing yardage yeah um so yeah yeah, it's just yeah i would i would think maryland is going to be able to move the ball in michigan state and michigan state's going to still struggle on, on on offense so it is what it is i think um yeah, you don't really want to see your team go two and five on the year, but at the same time, it's, you have to. It's you have very to look much at possibility. It realistically, That's the sad thing about it. I remember writing in my column that you know this, this year is just pretty much dead for MSU, and really you just gotta salvage what you can. And if that's a bowl game, that's a bowl game. But, but even if, then, it's just kind of a it's kind of second tier for MSU. If you look at it through an optimistic lens, um, I mean, if they do pull out this game, then that that's a really kind of important win if they want to make a bowl. Um, if they can still make a bowl, right. but yeah, if they win, I, I, that gives you a little bit of confidence that they're, they haven't given up on the season yet, that they're willing to fight and that this season they, they're still playing for something. And I mean, you see these guys, I mean, for the last three years, for the last four years, everybody on this team has been fighting. They've been tough competitors. They've been athletes and they're going to keep going at it. Um, I mean, you can't just disregard these guys now and say that, oh, they've given up on the season, because I'm sure if you ask any of them, that's not the case. Right. And I think if you have anything more to add to that. No. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Rick Goslin and we're going to preview the MLB playoffs. Welcome back, everybody, on a Friday afternoon. So uh, glad to have you along, cruising along with us on this Friday, you know, day before game day. But we've got a little special segment that we uh, we told you about earlier in the mix, and that is Rick Gosselin. 
of the Dallas Morning News. He is a sport. He's currently their sports columnist for the Dallas Morning News. Was a Cowboys columnist before that. One of the well-respected writers of the NFL, and he's made multiple stops throughout his career. Uh, but his first gig here at MSU at the State News, and uh, he's actually a State News Hall of Famer and now an NFL Hall of Famer. So that's a claim to fame for the State News that I think we'll take great pride in. So, uh, Rick, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Always come great coming back to Michigan State. Love this place. And is there have any favorite memories from the State News that you can remember? I'm sure you remember it quite a bit, but any any that stand out that just sum up your time here? Yeah, just all three years at the State News. I mean, we had a great staff. Uh, Lynn Hanning was on Maverick. I hired Lynn Hanning on our staff. Okay. Gary Shar. We've got some people who went on to pretty big things in journalism, and uh, there was such a vibe in the newsroom. It was fun. We had uh, I, I covered football in Duffy Doherty's last year, and there were a lot of a lot of good stories, a lot of memorable games. I remember they beat uh, beat Ohio State in 1971 in Columbus, and that was that was a highlight. And we're having a quarterback battle here at Michigan State between Brian Lewerke and Tyler O'Connor and Damian Terry as well. But uh, Rick's been on the front lines of one of the probably the biggest story in the NFL, one of the bigger uh, emergencies from some of the biggest rookies. Uh, that's the Dak Prescott versus Tony Romo quarterback controversy. And, you know, from looking at my research, I, I went to the Sport, Sports Day website with Dallas Morning News, and, you know, the first six of the eight top eight stories were all is it Dak Prescott? Is it Tony Romo? Tony Romo's injury, Dak Prescott's latest game, you know. And I, so Welcome to Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> It's definitely one of the uh, one of the biggest uh, stories out there, and so you know I wanted to get your opinion. I, Tony Romo's now out for I think it was till week nine was that the speculation on that one. So you've seen it all firsthand. You were there for Dak Prescott and in Green Bay, his great performance there, and outdueled Aaron Rodgers. And so you know when Tony Romo is healthy, you know, who who you got to stay with down there? Well, they they have to play Prescott. He's not. It's not a decision that Jerry Jones or Jason Garrett are going to make. He's playing too well to take him out. It's going back to the Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe situation. You know, the young kid came in and was playing better, and you're winning. And chemistry's important in the NFL right now. There's great chemistry, and I think if you go back to Romo, who's 36 years old, he's brittle. Uh, he's not mobile. If you put him back in, your, your sacks go up, your turnovers go up, your mobility goes down, and Prescott is a great fit with Elliott because of the play-action game. You know, they've got a lot of things where they're bootlegging him out of the pocket and letting him make plays on a move. move. Romo's not going to make plays on a move. I, I don't think the more he wins, I, I think the more they have to stick with him. There's 5-1 right now. They have a bye. They come back, and they have Philadelphia at home, should win that one. At Cleveland, should win that one. Pittsburgh without Roethlisberger, good chance to win that. I mean, how do you sit him down if he's 8-1? I don't think they can. What's been the fan reaction to Dak Prescott? Tom? Oh, they love him. I mean, this this is a franchise, a fan base that believes they should win Super Bowls every year. And they've won three playoff games in the last 20 years. And they're having a tough time coping with that. And all of a sudden, you get a franchise, a young franchise-type quarterback. They saw it with Staubach. They saw it with Aikman. I think Romo's disappointed them with just the, the two playoff wins in the last 10 years as a starter. And here's Dak Prescott who's making plays, and he's the buzz of the NFL. He's on the cover of SI, and this fan base has embraced him. They see his him as now the quarterback of the present and future. So no hard feelings uh, for Tony Romo then, huh? Well, not, not <laughs> for a large portion of the fan base, but I think there's going to be for Tony Romo. Hmm. I mean, Tony Romo's making $115 million on a contract, and he's got you know three years left after this. 
I don't think he's going to go to the bench very happy. Right. Does he, you think it's almost time, do you think people thrown out, you know, we should move him, and the Jets have been a name that's thrown out there. If he is to be moved, and do you think he should be moved, and, and where to? You know, well, I don't, think, trade him I don't think they can move him because of the salary cap implications. I mean, if he retired tomorrow, he'd be a $20 million hit on their salary cap. If he retired tomorrow, I think they'd have to keep him on the active roster for two years just because they couldn't afford the salary cap hit. So I don't think he's going anywhere. And he's got the, – the owner loves uh, Tony Romo. The head coach is one of Tony Romo's best friends. They've flown to Duke together to attend basketball games. It's going to be a very difficult call for Jones and Garrett to put uh, Prescott on the field. But the fan base is going to demand it. And now – You've uh, you've seen the luxury you've had the luxury of, of witnessing the NFL from the hotbed of of football and the almost the mecca of football down in Texas and you know a lot of people up here like to claim you know football is a is a Michigan sport in a sense where that's oh it's part of the fabric but really it's not when you compare it to Texas so you know kind of what does it really look like to be a part of a a culture where football is practically the second religion. It all starts at the high schools. Look at the high schools. There, uh, Allen, Texas has built a $60 million stadium. The suburb next door, McKinney, has built a $72 million stadium. And these are as good as, as some of the small college uh, buildings you see play. Virtually every major school in the state recruits high school, excuse me, recruits quarterbacks out of Texas. You know, they're all over the country. There are quarterbacks in Texas playing, you know, at the major college level. Uh, they were at the front end of, of the seven-on-seven seven passing um, uh, camps and the front end of all the, the, the triple receivers and quad receivers and you know, the, the shotgun offense. And this is where quarterbacks are coming from. Matthew Stafford played at Highland Park. I mean, these guys are, are – the quarterback is the – it's the, the pulse beat of a team, and everybody's in Texas recruiting them. And you look at the colleges. Texas A&M right now is a top-10 team. They're playing Alabama this week. Texas, you, you, they shouldn't be down, but they are. Um, Cowboys, are they seem to be back. You look at, at what's going on in the NFC, I'm not sure that the Cowboys couldn't get to the NFC title game given how they played this year. It's crazy. I, I go to a high school uh, football game, and I see 15,000 people in the stands for a high school game. And, and there are a lot of high schools playing football, and they play regular high school games at, at uh, ANTT Stadium. Uh, it, it's a it's a passion. Uh, my favorite story: a couple years back, when A Rod played for the Rangers, he was named the MVP of the league first time. And on our website, it was the fifth most popular story behind Cowboys Gamer, Cowboys Sidebar, Cowboys <laughs> Notes. I mean, it's 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 a football town. It's a football it's state. Yeah. That- uh, to give anybody some perspective out there, my high school, I think when we played the Crosstown Rival, it was probably about 2,000, 2,000 people, <laughs> and that, that includes students and parents. I got 2,000 people on the sidelines watching in Texas. <laughs> right, that's, uh, I, yeah, I couldn't imagine exactly, you know, what what that looks like, especially, yeah, we go back to that, um, you know, talking about recruiting players out of Texas, do a lot of people grow up, I mean, I'm sure Texas Longhorns are, the prominent university, but how many of those kids actually want to go to Texas still these days? It's like Michigan here. Okay, you know you got uh, that's where you you aspire to go to school, and if you don't have the grades, you end up at uh, some of the lesser schools. But yeah, Texas is like Michigan. Everybody's got a state institution, and uh, you know m- most of the people that I that I know in Dallas had had gone to Texas, and they stick around after they leave too. Right. <laughs> so uh, transferring on from here is. Casey and I have criticized the NFL a couple times in, on this show. and whether it's Join over, the crowd. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
I was going to say, we're not the only voices, uh, <laughs> you know, taking the NFL down on a weekly basis. But we, we, we've talked about, you know, how they've handled drug offenses and mishandled some of the assault cases. And now it even seems to, to forget some of its own rules and can't figure out what a catch is sometimes. But, you know, is, is almost the criticism of the NFL, you think it's, you've seen it from the inside view that Casey and I you don't have. Is it some of it? Sometimes misguided and misinformed, or is it almost spot on sometimes? No, I think the I think the league wanted Roger Goodell to be the law and order commissioner, so he came out strong, and then everybody got mad and upset. Uh, the Tom Brady thing was mishandled; that should have been dealt with. That never should have gone as far as it as it went. Um, you know, he he can give a, a player an eight game suspension for domestic abuse, and they appeal it and bring it back to four. They they want him to be hard, and then they criticize him when he is hard. So I, I think, you know, there's there's such a spotlight on the NFL. You don't have the same spotlight on the NBA and the NHL and, and even MLB. So it, it's everything is done by Goodell is magnified. It's not as bad as it looks on the outside, and it's not as good as it looks on the inside. And one of those issues they've been having this year, I think, has been viewership has been down. Um, that's not probably not a result of some of the play or, or things like that, but one of the other things that they've, they've cracked down on this year is one of the things I wanted to bring up was you know, they have recently, I think it was today, there are a lot of stories, a lot of uh, outlets have run the fact that one of his quotes, and it's probably a little bit out of context, but that he wants players to be role models. And so they've cracked down on some of the celebration penalties, and some of the, and they've also increased a lot of taunting calls and, and, and things like that. So is it, is it, let me ask you this one first. Are these football players held up to such a standard where they have to be role models, or is it almost where they don't need to be role models and it's more on parents at home in a sense? Well, it's always on the parents at home. Right. But you expect players to be good citizens. You expect employees of companies to be good citizens. I mean, if you work at IBM or Xerox or Chrysler or Ford, they expect the, the, company, the employees to be good citizens, and that's what the teams expect of their players. Um, the, the taunting penalties, I, I think they're trying to speed up the game, frankly. You know, the TV, the networks want these games played inside of three hours, and they're not played inside of three hours. Um, they, they, they do the taunting penalties for scores, but there's celebrations after every play. I mean, there's wide receivers signaling first downs. There's defensive backs thumping their chest. Everybody seems to have a sack dance after sure. they sack <laughs> the quarterback. You know, I, why you pick out the end zone celebrations, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled. You know, why not do the other things? But I think by and large, it's, it's part and parcel of speeding up the game. Okay. They, they need to play these games inside of three hours for the networks, and they're not even close. Right. Is there, you know, I almost always see it as you know, celebrating after a touchdown. I mean, I've played competitively in sports, and you, you get excited, and you want to you know, show out for a second. You know, I remember I, I grew up playing hockey, and one thing I always did when I scored in high school was, you know, student section's right there, and you go jump in the glass on the student <laughs> section, right? And so, you know, you scoop the ice a little bit, you showboat a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, you're always hugging your teammates. And you think sometimes the NFL, you know, puts too much, I don't know if it's the NFL, but some players, you know, put too much emphasis on themselves in these celebrations. Is that one thing? Oh, maybe? no question. It's, it's about giving yourself a brand. It's, it's what all of us do in, in all walks of life. You want to have a brand. And, you know, the Lambeau Leap, you know, Leroy right. Butler jumping in there. That's, that's the, the, the Packer brand. Uh, you know, once upon a time, the players were happy to spike it, but now they're trying to be more creative. 
and you know T.O. was doing things with sharpies and with goalposts, and it's just the NFL saying, just let's slow it down, let's just it's spike the ball and and let's move on. Okay, okay, and. Yeah, you know, one thing uh, too that you know we're wrapping up here with Rick, and he's been a he's been a good host to have as our first guest, as some of you probably already know. And um, one thing I wanted to get to, and it's kind of a lighthearted thing, and it has to do with politics. And it doesn't sound lighthearted when you, when you when you say, "Oh, we're going to talk about politics," but uh, there's a theory out there called the Redskins rule, and the theory is that if the Redskins win their final home game before election day, the party currently in the White House stays in the White House for the next four years, and so. Um, you know, if they lose, the other pr- other party wins the presidency. And, and over the last 19 years that they've been tracking this, it's uh, 7 in, of 19, so 17 and 2. And um, is that something, uh, you, I don't know if you've, you've paid too much attention to it before, but it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. It ties in the NFL and shows you how much the NFL plays into the U- United States culture here. And, and so do you think um, do you think the rule will be upheld this year? And it's almost kind of an easy year if you, if you follow politics. First off, it's it's scary to think the Washington Redskins can dictate politics in this country. They can't even figure out the nickname part of the political thing. Right. So that, that's scary. And if, you know, if the, the Redskins, of course, won, and Hillary Clinton is a big favorite, so it seems like it's kind of a, a, a slam dunk this year. But boy, I mean, Dan Snyder's got to be happy, but there's got to be a, a lot of politicians that aren't right. with this Redskins theory of yours. Right. So uh, that was what you heard from was uh, Rick Gosselin. So thank you, Rick, for coming on today. It was, um, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for being our first guest. I know State News always enjoys to, to have its alumni back. So thank you very much for My being here. My pleasure. It's great coming back. When we come back, we'll talk about the MLB playoffs and the World Series and how my Cubs are, are going to fare against the Indians if they break it out against the Dodgers. Uh, they're kind of they're giving me a little bit of shock. So you'll you hear about that. You'll hear me and Casey talk about that and how he is uh, an Indians bandwagon fan when we come back. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, on this Friday afternoon. You just heard from Rick Goslin of the Dallas Morning News, and we, we thank him for coming back again, and it was, uh, it was great talking to him. So anytime, I'm sure um, he'll be coming back, hopefully, again. And you know we'll pick up on our, our guest slate here as the uh, rest of the year moves along. So, But now, Casey, probably going to be our basketball reporter here at the State News come, nice. semester, come the turn of the semester. So he went to media day yesterday. It's from Izzo, and, and Izzo being optimistic after a uh, losing uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. So Casey, what is the vibe on that team, and what, what did you pick up from um, from media day yesterday? You know, when it was the last question of the press conference, and it was how he's kind of how Coach Izzo kind of expects his team to do well this year. And when the reporter asked the question, he paused for a while because he really had to think about what he was going to say. And what he said, it was pretty interesting because he's like, you know, I could lie to you, but I'm not going to. And honestly, this is what my answer is. I don't really know what we have. Um, There's a lot of question marks because you lose guys like Denzel Valentine and kind of an unexpected loss with Deontay Davis. But with that being said, I mean, you get one of the probably one of the best recruiting classes Michigan State has ever had. Um, You get Miles Bridges, Cassius Winston, even Josh Langford. Um, See, you know, it's almost an interesting point about those recruiting classes, though, because you could say it's... That's the best one they have coming in in a long time, but you can't really grade those out until they're gone. Well, yeah. I mean, it's obviously you can't say anything until they put on a jersey and they're on the court. And whatever um, their body of work ends up being. Yeah. Because Denzel's recruiting class and whatnot probably was not 
the top recruiting class ever to come into Michigan State, but they left nearly as one of the best and almost, you know, barring a, you know, a nine out of ten win game against Middle Tennessee, they might have won a national title last year. Yeah, and what he said when he learned during that game is to just not count anybody out, and the fact that it it a lot of it was on Izzo for not taking a timeout and not taking a second to gather his breath when the team was down twelve nothing right out the gates, um, but. I got a chance to talk to Miles Bridges. He is big. Like, let me tell you, you you look at the depth chart, you look at his stats, and he's I think six eight, and that that does him no justice until you see him. He is big. I mean, he's got muscle. He's Coach Izzo said that he already made some aha dunks. Like, crazy. I mean, the fact that this kid's a freshman. I Bring mean, back a little bit of flair to MSU basketball. Yeah, um, and he talked about Cassius Winston and how he might be one of the best passers since Magic. Really? And that's that's kind of that's interesting. High, that's some high praise. Yeah, I mean, he he talked about how Denzel Valentine was the poor man's magic, and, and to make those kind of comparisons are very sparse. Um, it's really interesting. And then they talked about the gauntlet, of course, that they're gonna talk. Yeah. They're they're traveling like thirteen thousand miles in two weeks. It's absolutely insane. They start the year in Hawaii, then they go to New York, then they go to North Carolina. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's just incredible. And I, I, I think that MSU basketball, they're, they're going to fare well this year. Um, Izzo's going to make it year number 20 consecutively to go to the NCAA tournament. And uh, there's a lot of question marks, but I, I think you'll get them answered um, as when the season starts. And so, you know, looking at, at you know, segue in here, Michigan State basketball, and that's, uh, you know, looking forward. They have what? Their first game is... Uh, it's the first it's Thursday. It's, it's an exhibition right against Northwood. Right. Should be. MSU basketball will be back next Thursday. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week as we head over there. But something uh, close to my heart is the uh, Cubs are now on the brink of the World Series for yeah. the second time in my lifetime. Uh, 2003, I guess, game six with the Bartman incident. And I was six years old. But now I'm, uh, this is the first time in, what, 13 years of that I've been following this team that, they're on the brink, and it took up finally after two games of laying in a corner and sucking their thumb that uh, they ought to play some baseball, and they can finally hit the ball again. <laughs> and they've romped the Dodgers now 10-2 to two and 8-4 to four in the last two games, and now on the cusp of winning the World Series, and I've never – I'm going to tell you, I've never felt this way before. Like, it's the most interesting feeling I've had because they're right on the brink, and, you know, all the bad luck that they've had. And, you know, it, after 108 years, it's kind of like – it almost seems like they're gonna do it after. Oh yeah. After the way they they were down two to one, and then to come back and score eighteen runs over two games and only give up what six runs in those. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it, it's gonna be very interesting to see because they've they've fought against LA, and I I almost get a feeling that this has been one of the sloppiest LCS series I've ever watched. I mean to to have the two teams go back and forth like this, but there's so many errors on both sides, especially with the Dodgers. How do the Dodgers make it to this point? How do they contend for a World Series when they make so many mental mistakes? They can't figure out which base to throw to. They make they pump fake the ball and then that ends up that results in base runners. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or if it's just a if it's a pressure thing. It's it's a flat out choke job. That's what it is. Yeah, and you know, and I, I, the bullpen doesn't help their case either. You get Stripling, who imploded in Game Four, and then you get um, Baez, who imploded in Game Five. And you had uh, who is it? Who gave up that? It's now given up. Um, well, Game One, it was Blanton or whatever. Blanton, yeah, I'm pretty sure gave up the uh, Grand Slam to Montero. 
They have made it uh, eight. They've made it seven. I mean, three. if the Cubs don't then, make it to the World eight. Series, it's just an injustice. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> LA has done everything in their power to make sure the Cubs go to the World Series. And Blanton again gave up the. Uh, it was tied one one after beautiful, beautiful batting and stealing by Howie Kendrick to put the Dodgers with you know in that scoring position. And and then and then Blanton comes out and gives up a. Uh, a two-run jack to Addison Russell, the deep center. I mean, not to play the what-if game, but even in game five last night, you, you look at it, Adrian Gonzalez had that ground ball hit to him. He could have either held on to it to make sure that the runner doesn't go home or throw home. Um, because if he did that, the very next batter, Chris Bryant, would have hit into an inning-ending double play, and the game only would have been 3-1. to one. And then, if I mean, you, you keep playing the what-if game, but if the Dodgers come back and rally, they win that game. Right. Um, because, I mean, Chapman really didn't look that impressive. No, um, no yeah, and Chapman's been up and down this year, and it's really I, – I mean, he's been up and down in the playoffs, and I think probably he – he was playing around with the slider a lot more. I mean, when, he's, when it's yeah. crunch time, he, he burns in that 103-mile-an-hour fastball. I think it was to give him some slider work. So, I mean, if he gave up a couple runs, but you still win, like, you know, like they won 8-4, to four, it, it really doesn't matter. The, uh, the one thing, though, that the Cubs do have their advantage, even if they've been kind of playing a lopsided baseball the last few games – is that they're still playing. And I can attest to this because being a Tigers fan, be, going to the World Series after only playing five games and having a week or so off, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing. No. Um, ask any Tigers fan in 06 or in 2012 yeah. where they had a week and a half off and then they just end up getting swept or in five games it's hard lose to stay, a series. It's hard to stay active. It's hard to keep your mind. When, when you don't play for a week having played baseball from – April on through, you know, through October, nearly every day, and you only get the All Star break. Really, is your biggest stretch to, to it, not play baseball every day. <laughs> it if kinda, you kind of lo- wears you down, it kind of freaks you out for a minute. Or yeah, because if you look at it, I mean, the Indians clearly look like the best team in the playoffs right now. But I mean, <laughs> when when you get that momentum to just stop for a week, that really kind of changes things. I think the Indians have. I don't want to call it luck, but. In, I mean, their bullpen give them uh, a good I mean, amount of props, but at some point, in, you know, the Cinderella teams usually die out. The only one I ever really saw was the Cardinals, and it's kind of hard to beg that they were a Cinderella team either. I mean, every, everybody needs a little bit of luck in the postseason. Right. Right. But anyway, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk. We're, we're giving you the picks. Yeah, we're giving you the picks. Welcome back. Why am I talking so quiet? I don't know. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Um, yeah, it's it's time for the picks, the weekly segment, the moment you've all been waiting for. So, Stephen, take it away. First national game of the week, number six, Texas A&M, 6-0, 4-0 in the SEC at number one, Bama. Bama 7-0, 4-0 in the SEC. Alabama giving a 19-point advantage. And a 3.30 matchup down in Tuscaloosa. You know, 19 might be a little generous. Um, I think it's going to be a closer game than that because Texas A&M is a very good team. They're the number six team in the country for a reason. Um, I think Bama wins this one by probably 10. I'm, I'm going to pick Bama too, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that line of 19. I think Bama's just that good. I know Texas A&M's good too, but I'm going to take Bama by yeah, – I'm going to take them by 17 in this one. Give me Bama – Game number two of the national slate. Number 17, Arkansas, 5-2, and 1-2 and two in the SEC. At number 21, Auburn, 4-2, and 2-1 two, two and one in the SEC. Auburn giving a 10-point advantage, that one down. And the Plains, it's a 6 p.m. matchup. Arkansas, though, 
come back, and they've had impressive showings against Bama. They've had they beat Ole Miss last week. I'm gonna have to take Arkansas on this one, Casey. You know. I think you only pick Arkansas for these games just to spite me because I have had zero luck picking with Arkansas this year. Dang I don't right. really know what to pick. Um, uh, you're right, buddy. You know, the line has Auburn at 10.5 because they're at home. I don't know about that. I think I'm going to go with you because, you know what, if I'm wrong, then you're wrong. Right. I'm going to take Arkansas. Uh, number 23, Ole Miss, 3-3 three and three on the year, 1-2 and two in the SEC, but number 23 in the country at number 25, LSU, who makes their return to the national rankings. They're 4-2, and 2-1. Two, two and one. Uh, LSU given six and a half. They're at home. That's a 9 p.m. game down in Death Valley. You know, LSU's been able to rebound kind of nicely. Um, Ole Miss has three losses, though. It's going to be a tough one to match up. Um, LSU's at home, but I don't know if they can do it. Um, and you really kind of flip a coin here. I'm going to go LSU. Uh, I'm going to take LSU as well. They've kind of rebounded since Les Miles is gone. So I'm going to take LSU by a touchdown and give me the points in that one. NC State, our third game of the week. They're 4-2, and 1-1, one and one, going to number 7, Louisville. And Mar- Lamar Jackson, 5-1, and 3-1 and one with that only blemish coming at the loss of, of at the loss or at the hands of Clemson. Spit it out. Yeah. <laughs> Louisville give it a 19.5 point favorite over NC State. That's a noon kickoff. NC State played Clemson tough last week. Clemson forced into overtime win for Clemson. Casey. You know what? NC State, I think that was just a little gimmick. Um, I think it was a little spurt of luck there. Louisville's going to put the foot down and uh, <laughs> I, give me those 19.5. Louisville definitely more explosive than Clemson. Um, as much as NC State played close, they're going to have a letdown after uh, that tough showcase. Give me uh, Louisville by 21. Uh, our last game of the national selection, Washington State 4-2, and 3-0 and in the Pac-12. At Arizona State 5-2, and 2-2 and in the Pac-12. Washington State giving a 37-point favorite. I might be looking at that wrong. I might have misprinted that one. Let me double check. That's Washington uh, and Oregon State. Oh, good one. Thank you. That's what, a fatal. What's the line on that Washington State? I'm going to let Holland know about one. that. Um, yeah, the line is still 37. Um, still Washington, 37. the number five team in the country, taking on Oregon State. Um, no question here. I think Washington's got this one in the bag. I'll even take the points on that. Yeah, give me give me Washington as well. But back to my thing, Washington State at Arizona State, though. Oh. We'll go, that's the one I had previewed, but I'd given you the wrong line. So give me the find me the Washington State line here. Um, uh, this one's supposed to Washington four and two in the uh, three and zero oh in the Pac twelve, uh, Arizona State five and two two and two in the Pac twelve. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm actually picking Washington State over Arizona State. They're uh, better than people think. So, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of play devil's advocate here. I think Arizona State's got this. They're they're somewhat of a proven team. So I'm gonna go with them. Right. Uh, Big Ten games, and I, I can't find my other sheet of Big Ten games. Wow. Well, I got this. Don't worry. I got your back, Steven. You can take this over here. Um, So game number one, Rutgers, uh, two and five, zero and four. Give me Rutgers. uh, Taking on Minnesota. Oh, give me a different one. Oh, no. Give me a different one. Take it. No. You're going to take what you get. No, 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 no. I have better ones on that sheet. Okay, fine. Give me that. Fine. Let let me go to another game, see if that suffices for you. Number 10, Wisconsin, taking on Iowa yeah, to round out the gauntlet. Wisconsin favored by four and a half. Uh, that game kicks off 12 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, give me Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin, you know, one and two in the Big Ten, but losses to both Michigan and Ohio State, the best teams in the Big Ten, with their one win coming over the lowly Michigan State Spartans. Uh, give me Wisconsin uh, by way more than four. Yeah, Why I think. Give them to me by 10 at least. Uh, Wisconsin by 10. <laughs> no problem right here. Uh, game number two of the afternoon, 
You got number two, Ohio State at Penn State. Uh, OSU coming in with a 6-0 record. Undefeated 3-0 in the Big Ten, while Penn State is 4-2 and 2-1 and and in conference play. The Buckeyes favored by 19.5. That game kicks off at 8 p.m. That game used to be a interesting battle where they used to duke it out for with each other um, for some Big Ten supremacy. Those used to have some great matchups, and Ohio State used to have to pull some out late down at Penn State, but not going to be the case this year. Ohio State's going to win this one uh, handily in that one. Uh, game number three of the afternoon. What's no- your pick, buddy? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, give me the Buckeyes. No no problem right here. Um, game number three, Indiana at Northwestern. It's a, bat- it's a battle of... The bulge. Yeah. Uh, Indiana, 3-3, three and 1-2. Three, and two. Um, Northwestern, 3-3, three 2-1. And three, and uh, Northwestern favored by 1.5. That's interesting. Uh, uh, interesting to me. I think, I think Indiana is actually better than Northwestern, having seen both uh, play in person. Um, I, I'm going to have to pick Indiana in this one. Give me the Hoosiers. Yeah, I think the Hoosiers, I mean, they beat MSU, obviously, and then they competed with Nebraska for a while. Northwestern, I don't think can do that. I think Northwestern's kind of got a um, booster with all the points they put up against MSU, but I don't think that really means anything. Um, give me the Hoosiers in that one. I'll, I'll take Hoosiers probably by at least a touchdown. Um, and then game number four, the varsity team coming out. <laughs> Illinois taking on number three, Michigan. Michigan favored by a mere 38-and-a-half. That game kicks off at 3.30 on Big Ten Network. Who you got, Steven? Uh, Illinois in this one. Just kidding. Yeah, good one. Michigan, uh, give me Michigan by like 50, 50 and a half in this one. Give yeah. Me, they'll even score a half a point. If, uh, out, so give me 50. If, if the spread for Illinois is 38 and a half, I, I can only wonder what the Michigan State spread will be. Oh boy. Um, give, me, give me the Wolverines by a boatload. And then game number five, the one you've all been waiting for, Michigan State, your Spartans, 2-4, and 0-3 oh in the Big Ten, taking on Maryland. The Terrapins are 4-2 and 1-2 and and in the Big Ten. Michigan State favored by a field goal. That game's at 7.30. Uh, I put it in the paper. Everybody made fun of me for it. Last time I picked <laughs> Michigan State to lose, they lost. Um, that's against BYU. Did the same thing this week. Give me Maryland 33-27. to 27. They're going to pull it out. Not even late. Michigan State will try to play catch-up and fall short. Maryland will hold on for the win. Give me 33-27, Maryland. I mean, Michigan State really hasn't done anything to show that they've improved over the last few games, and Maryland really isn't. I, I would almost say Maryland's a better team than Northwestern. So with that being said, I think Maryland's got this one in the bag. And that'll do it for our pick section. Steven, any final thoughts? No. no. Uh, go out and enjoy yourself, folks, this weekend. You know, try, and, uh, try and forget that Michigan State football isn't as good as you uh, wanted them to be this year. You know, maybe spend some time gardening or something. Uh, I know it's a 7.30 kickoff, but you might not want to watch it. So, um, Casey. Well, uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at the snooze underscore sports. Look at us on SoundCloud, uh, the state news. And then remember to leave us a review on iTunes. Share, share us with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Um, we're also on Facebook. And with that being said, I think I'm going to wish you all a happy Friday. Have a safe weekend, everybody.